What are some of their beliefs? Uh, God is called Allah, and He is the most, He's all powerful. He created all things, and is merciful and compassionate in their theology. God is a judge, but there is no mediator. The idea of an incarnate personal God is actually blasphemous and absurd in this, in this, in this formulation. Man is capable of sin, but he is also innately capable of pleasing God perfectly, or at least sufficiently for salvation. Salvation is fundamentally works-based. The pleasure of Allah is achieved through religious observance. Specifically, religious observance in the five pillars of faith. The five pillars of faith are as follows. Confession. By that we don't mean saying what your sins are. They mean this. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. That is confession. uh, Secondly, they have a prayer ritual that must be observed five times a day. They fast during Ramadan. Almsgiving to the poor, that's about 2.5% of their savings is supposed to be given to the poor. And then you are to do pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life. Uh, Converting to Islam actually requires only external actions. Specifically, that you repeat the confession, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And the rest is to submit to all the other teachings in Islam. Disagreements with, uh, with what we believe or what the Bible says. Is the Bible the word of God? Muslims do regard the Torah and Bible as holy books, but they also believe that it was necessary for God to give another book, the Quran. The Quran is really the book that they follow. Uh, what is the purpose of God's revelation? Muslims believe that Islam includes both Judaism and Christianity, and that, is, and that Allah has revealed himself in all the holy books. And they even say that Abraham was a Muslim. But the purpose of that revelation is to enable the hearer to live a good life for Allah so that they can get to paradise. What we need to explain to the Muslim, and, and it's not an easy task, is that God revealed himself in order to establish a personal relationship between God and man. It's not about what you can do, it's about what he does for us on our behalf. What do they say about whether Jesus died on the cross? Muslim, Islam does not teach that Jesus died on the cross. There's a verse in the Quran which says this, They killed him not, they crucified him not, but it was likened unto them. They killed him not knowingly, but God raised him, and God is the most merciful of merciful. And by this, in the Muslim's mind, the verse is saying that God was so merciful that he would never allow a wonderful prophet such as Jesus to be crucified by his enemies. And what about the Trinity? They differ from us in this as well. Muslims often say, you Christians believe in three different gods. So they think that we worship three gods, not one. So they would not consider us to be a monotheistic religion in this sense. They say we have God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and they're separate, and that's blasphemy. One cannot believe in three different gods, so they think we are wrong on this on this point. Uh, a few questions that you can use to engage a Muslim. Uh, how do you know that you're doing enough good deeds to re- receive salvation on the day of judgment? Right? We have the hope of knowing that we are saved. They they labor under the under the idea that they've never done enough. Uh, we can ask questions about Jesus. What if Jesus said? What if what Jesus said and taught is true? They have set the. They, even though they regard the Bible as a holy book, they've set that aside in favor of the Quran, and the Quran teaches different things from Jesus. So that would be a, a good question to interact with. And then thirdly, how can Christianity be part of Islam when its teachings are so different? Right? They want to kind of put 
Christianity under the same umbrella so we can talk to them and interact a little bit on why is it that they're, why is it that they think that things are, they can be put together when they teach very different things. Good. Any questions there, just quickly? We'll have questions for, we'll have time for questions overall in the end, but is there anything specific about Islam that you're confused about? Okay. With Islam uh, is that there's two very distinct sects of the Sunni and the Shiites with yes. their interpretation of it, so yeah. uh, that will definitely come into play as well. Yes, it will, and there's going to be tons of things like that about all three of these religions that we're just not going to have time to cover today, right. and so we're just giving the, the barest of overviews of, of what the, the major tenets are. But yes, good point. Yep. Okay, Hinduism. Next major religion, Hinduism is a polytheistic religion, so that means they believe in many gods, not just one. Um, some facts about the religion. There are just over one billion Hindus worldwide, uh, most of whom are in the UK, India, or the US. Hinduism arose about 3,500 years ago, somewhere around 1500 BC, um, after, the popul- after the conquering of the Indian subcontinent. But there's no clear founder or starting point. We really don't know much about the, or, the actual origins of Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism does not offer the same insistence on being the only truth as other religions. Um, and, there, and there is no e- eternally dominant or correct form of Hinduism. So there's, there's going to be another place where there's tons of variation, and we're only going to be giving the, the biggest, uh, you know, most boiled down summaries here. Hindus do not separate religion from other aspects of life. So for Hindus, Hinduism is an inextricable part of their existence. A complete approach to life that involves social class, earning a living, family, politics, diet, etc. The culture of India is largely Hindu. And if you look at their culture, that you're going to see an illustration of what Hinduism teaches because it's very much ingrained in the, in the broad culture of India. Hinduism is not a static set of beliefs, uh, but it continues to develop. So over time, things get added and subtracted and left behind and, and re, kind of reintegrated. And it also explains history in circular, nonlinear terms. There's, a, there's no starting point to history, and there's no ending point to history. Everything just keeps going and going and going. So some of their beliefs. There is no single Hindu idea of God. There is Brahman, the absolute, the impersonal, all-embracing spirit. But in addition to that, there's many deities, at least 33. uh, But by some traditions, there are hundreds or even millions of gods in the Hindu religion. Hinduism is is works-based. And that's because all of Hindu practice uh, is the belief that all souls are eternal and accountable for their own actions. So everything is based on that idea in addition to that, they have this idea of karma, which is the debt that one's bad actions, uh, that you have for your bad actions, and you have to atone for your bad karma. Uh, and because of that, every soul is trapped in a cycle of rebirth, death, and rebirth as you try to work off and figure out all of this bad karma that needs to be taken care of. Karma is not the same thing as judgment in Christianity. So separate those two ideas. Karma is automatic impersonal and recurring, whereas we would believe judgment is personal, happens at you know one time, um, and it's not automatic. God is actually deciding what to do. Every Hindu wants to escape this cycle. 
the quality of the next life depends on the soul's karma, the goodness or badness of their deeds in this life. And Hindus aim uh, in life, uh, they aim to live in a way that will cause each of their lives to be better than the life before. So when someone dies, their soul is reborn into a new body, though not necessarily human. Um, and this is called reincarnation. Their ultimate aim is to escape from the cycle altogether by, uh, by attaining moksha, or liberation, where they stop being reborn or simply part of Brahman, the impersonal spirit. So their goal is to, to end this cycle of birth, death, and rebirth, and to be merged in with uh, the impersonal spirit, Brahman. Uh, specific disagreements with what we believe as Christians. Uh, does history matter? The Christian view of history is extremely different from the Hindu. Um, it's, uh, we believe in linear history. History has a beginning. It has a progress and it has an end. Whereas for the, for the Hindu, it's all cyclical. Um, and all, also as well, because of the way history is structured, it has a purpose. Um, Hinduism teaches just that endless cycle. And ultimately, they do see things as meaningless because of that ending cycle. They, they are trying to escape the meaninglessness of life. That is what they are trying to do. Uh, what is God like? Christians believe God is personal, powerful, and that while he is separate from creation, he is directly and savingly involved in this world. For the Hindu, the closest thing they have is Brahma, who is the, the personification of Brahman. They have Brahma, who is apart from the world, does not save humans from their plight. And this is also true of the many other gods in Hinduism. None are saviors, and ultimately God, in the end, is just the, the impersonal Brahman force. Uh, they also differ from us in terms of what, is, what man is like. For Hindus, humankind is the manifestation of the impersonal Brahman force, but has no individual worth. Uh, but we as Christians believe humankind is created in God's image and thus has imme- immeasurable value. Uh, and then lastly, uh, not lastly, uh, what are the consequences of our actions? It's another way that we are very different. We agree with Hindus that there are lasting consequences for our actions. We agree at that, at, at that point uh, but they do not believe in the idea of sin against a holy God, only in wrong, act, wrong acts of ignorance that can be overcome, even if it takes many lifetimes. In our apologetics, we should be clear that Christians actually believe in a deeper vision of sin and consequences than they do, one that is more fulfilling. Uh, how does one become a Hindu or a Christian? So becoming, you know, entering into the faith is a place where we're different. Uh, Christians actually agree with Hindus, no one be, can be coerced into faith, and that totalitarian acceptance are uh, sorry, toleration and acceptance are important values. But Hinduism replaces resurrection with incarnation, uh, reincarnation, uh, and both grace and faith with human works. For them, salvation is a cycle, that cycle of birth, death, and rebirth that eventually leads to escape. Whereas, uh, whereas Christians, we see. Uh, life being lived out in submission to Christ and eventually being resolved in restoration. Um, and eventually we, we make it to heaven, whereas they are going into this impersonal force. And finally, the, our, our, we have a disagreement about who Jesus is. Uh, Hindus believe Jesus is a divine manifestation, but no more than any other divine manifestation that they may see. So they have lots of deities and lots of divine entities, right? Jesus is going to lump Jesus in with all of them. 
Uh, Christians, though, believe that Jesus was God himself and that we are made to have a relationship with him. Some questions for engagement with Hindus. Uh, Do you really believe all religions are equally true, even though they teach different things? Because they're going to try to say that everybody has their own truth. Um, but But that's not really true. Uh, number two, how do you explain human nature in a way that accounts for both a Mother Teresa and an Adolf Hitler? Right? They don't have their 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 system doesn't account really for those things very well. Uh, how do you know? This is number three. How do you know when you're good enough to be liberated? Again, there's this works-based idea that we know if you're uh, dealing in the in the realm of works, you never really know uh, if you've arrived or not. Any questions on boot, on Hinduism? It's quick. Yeah. Uh, how do they justify increasing population with a cyclical or rebirth? You know, are new souls created? Uh, great question. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know on that one. Yes. You might have said this, but they, they don't believe in any kind of form of hell. Uh, I didn't say it, and I actually don't. I actually don't know. I don't think so. I think because everything is reincarnation. There, where, and the, the goal is to get to that, that, uh, in, that uh, impersonal force and to be escaping from it. That's the only escape. So as long as you've got bad karma, you're here working it off. Because remember, history never ends. There is no end to history. So if you kill somebody, you just the punishment would be... That's bad karma. So you just have to live another life. Mm-hmm. In the- and your life next time will be worse than worse. this time. Okay. Because if you have bad karma... If you overall have bad karma, your next life is worse. If you're overall good karma, your next life is better. Yeah. Good. Good questions. Uh, any, if you have any more, we'll, we'll try to have time for, for them at the end. Uh, Buddhism. So Buddhism is our example of a pantheistic religion. Pantheism, again, everything is God, all is God. Um, some facts about them. There are about 500 million Buddhists worldwide, predominantly in China, Tibet, and East Asia. Um, it's difficult to talk sensibly about Buddhism because Buddhisms are dogmatic that one cannot be linguistically dogmatic about anything. So they're dogmatic about the fact that you can't, they're, they're sure that you can't say anything certain about anything. Um, so it's very difficult to talk about this. <laughs> um, uh, but over the last 30 years, it's interesting, Buddhism has grown a lot in the West as its non-dogmatic nature, nature, rationality, the possibility of a spirit guide, and opportunity for personal transformation have all made it tra- uh, very attractive to, post- to a postmodern society. Uh, some of the beliefs that are true of pantheistic religions, especially Buddhism, uh, Buddhism teaches that we are all God. God is in all of us. You've heard this before in popular culture. The religion of Star Wars is based on this idea. Yoda, as you remember, says to Luke Skywalker when they're, when he's training, use the force, Luke, the force is all around you. In the tree, in the rock, me, and you. So the force is God in that, in that cosmology, and so it's everywhere, and you're just utilizing it to achieve your ends. Uh, Buddhism has no omnipotent creator God who exists apart from this or any other universe. In fact, belief in a God of that kind is just not part of Buddhism at all. It's like, it's just, it just doesn't compute. Uh, like Hindus, uh, Buddhists believe in karma, uh, that cause and effect loop that traps souls in an endless cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. But here's one key difference there. Buddhism teaches that what we perceive is real. So the material world, what our senses tell, senses tell us, etc., are really just illusions of one kind or another. 
And exactly how that works out depends on the kind of Buddhism you're talking about. But um, they all would agree that life here is an illusion of some kind. And that you're trying to get, you're trying to escape from the illusion, right? So Buddhism teaches four noble truths. To live is to suffer. It's number one. Number two, suffering is caused by desire. So we allow ourselves to get attached to things and our desire produces our suffering. Number three, one can eliminate suffering by eliminating desire. So if we accept what we are, who we are, what the world looks like, everything else, and we, we eject any desire about that world, we can eliminate our suffering. And then number four, desire is, lim- is eliminated by following the Eightfold Path. And I've got that. The Eightfold Path is written in your notes. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But uh, there's eight things that are supposed to be right. And if you follow those things, that's the Eightfold Path. And you can eliminate desire by following it. So the, if you follow the Eightfold Path, eventually that brings you to the state known as Nirvana. Where action and interaction ceases. So Nirvana is the state of enlightenment and the place where personality is extinguished, and as a result of personality being extinguished, desire is gone, and because desire is gone, suffering is gone, and you've achieved what you were out to achieve in life. Uh, Disagreements with Christianity. Uh, We disagree about who Jesus is. Buddhists say that Jesus is another teacher, leading people to enlightenment. At best, he's another Buddha. Uh, We disagree about what the problem of man is. Buddhists get the description of the problem half right. Christians agree that the world, that in this world that there is suffering. We disagree with the second half of their description of the problem. We don't need to eliminate desire, but we need to desire the right things. The problem is we desire to rule our own lives and not to submit to God's rule. They say that desire itself must be eliminated. We as Christians say that our desires must be transformed so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness and not for unrighteousness. Uh, We also disagree about uh, who is God really. We need to speak with Buddhists about the fact that the God of the Bible is all-powerful, imminent, and knowable, and wants to be in relationship with his people. He's not a God of only magical powers, they, they look to their God, they look to their spirituality, and magic is a part of that. It's not just a God of magical powers, but has a personal name and personal powers that he uses for our good. So it's not just a generic force out there that can be used to achieve things. Uh, some questions that you can use to engage a Buddhist. Buddhism, if Buddhism is right, uh, if, that there is nothing on earth that permanently, ex- oh sorry, Buddhism is right, that there is nothing on earth that permanently exists. But what if I told you there was a world with God that would exist forever? Um, on his deathbed, Buddha said, I remind you that all things are impermanent. I advise you to take refuge in yourself and the teachings. Everything that is born is subject to decay. There is no external savior. It is up to each of you to work out your own liberation. So the question based on that is, how can a Buddhist be saved from meaninglessness? If everything is meaningless, how can you be saved from what is everything, right? So, uh, another question. Denying desire denies the desire to enjoy friendship and family, work and play, recreation and exploration. Um, does a Buddhist not desire these things? And why is it so hard not to desire something? So get, trying to get at that core idea that desire is desire in itself is bad. Um, 
And then for another a fourth question you could talk to about with a Buddhist. Buddhism teaches that desire is the problem, yet humans desire things from early childhood. Could this desire point to something? Or maybe someone that we are created to desire? So could our desires actually be pointing to something larger, is the question, as opposed to just being something we need to get rid of? Good. Questions there on Buddhism. Again, lots, lots that we didn't cover, but, you know. Okay, good. So, in the final section, uh, we want to take and kind of take our experience thinking through these religions a little bit and take a look at a couple of broad questions that come about as a result of uh, thinking through comparative religion. Um, the first one is, don't all religions teach the same thing? Now, it should be kind of clear after what we just talked about, this question doesn't seem to have a basis, right? Uh, you, know, spend, uh, you know, after spending just the, these few minutes, it's just hard to believe that people still assert that the major world religion, religions teach the, same, teach the same thing. Yet, they do. And though it's nonsense, we still need to work on interacting with the question. So, first, just simply as a matter of, uh, of observation, different religions make very different claims. And it is impossible for them all to be true. In fact, the nature of a truth claim is to say that one thing is true and real and valid, while another is false. That's just the nature of, of, of the truth claim itself. Christianity teaches that Jesus is the one way, and that no human gets to God except through him. Hindus and Buddhists would say all religions are equal, and deny the exclusivity of Christianity's most fundamental claim. That those don't go together. It's nonsense to pretend that they, that, they, that they teach the same thing. There's a world of difference between the smiling Buddha, that's what they call him, the smiling Buddha, and the crucified Christ. However, world religions do have some similarities on the level of morality and ethics, what it means to be good and how to live the good life, so to speak. Uh, this is probably what most people are thinking of when they make this claim. Right? The response to what we've just said about the, the competing nature of religions uh, it gets responded to by saying something like this. Sure, but the differences between religions really are just on the surface. Strip away all the differences and you get to what the essence of what they teach is, and then you'll see how they're all the same. Right? So they want to strip away all the differences and just kind of ignore them and come up with whatever similarities they have. Uh, yet even here you can see serious variances. For example... Buddhists understand their efforts to be the most good when they, not, when they deny that pain exists, because it's a mere illusion. Yet Christians follow Jesus, a real man who has borne very real pain and judgment for them. Similarities in mor and morality also dissolve upon examination. Jesus made it clear he did not come to make bad men good, he made, came to make dead men alive uh, in God. So finally on this point, to make this claim turns everything on its head in the end. The Bible is clear that morality and holy living are the fruits of something else, not the essence of religion. So those who say that all religions are the same are attempting to strip away the significant and compare the superficial and then draw deep conclusions based on that. So do all religions really teach the same thing? Nobody wants to give the same respect to a religion based on human sacrifice, fear of evil spirits, or mass suicide, as they do say to Zen Buddhism, Judaism, or Christianity. Nobody suggests that Hitler's claims to divine revelation should be given equal treatment with those of Muhammad or Jesus. 
We are, we are only tolerant up to a point, and rightly so. Differences really do make a difference. So that's our first big question. The second big question that we have to face when we're doing comparative religion, especially when we're talking about Christianity, is, is Jesus really the only way to God? Um, <clears throat> so is Jesus the only way to know God and be forgiven, saved, and enjoy eternal life? Yes. The answer has to be unequivocally yes. Uh, Isaiah 45, there's no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? This is a hard truth for many of our friends. It's a hard truth for others to hear in a postmodern culture. We need to say this cogently, biblically, and winsomely, but as Christian apologists, we must proclaim the word of truth. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And as Christians, what are the charges we need to be prepared to respond to when we say that Jesus is the only way to God? Charge number one. Claiming that Jesus is the only way is fundamentally just an arrogant claim. You're just being arrogant. You just think your way is the right way and are ignoring everything else. Uh, here we should use arguments from Jesus' own words. So John 14, 6, like we just quoted a minute ago. Uh, John 17 is another place. Uh, or the words of the apostles. I quoted uh, Acts 14, 12. Uh, Romans 6 is another place you can, you can hear about uh, this idea. Uh, we can use these arguments regarding the validity of the New Testament manuscripts and point to the authenticity of the historical record as well to bolster the idea that the Bible is, that what the Bible is saying is accurate. Uh, and fundamentally, we're trying to say, we're not claiming this on our own authority. We're not just being arrogant and saying that our way is the right way. It is actually a tenant of what our religion says. Uh, furthermore, there are numerous religions that make exclusive truth claims. So making an exclusive claim, does not, while it doesn't prove veracity, it is, ne- it is, is also just normal. right? Making, tr- making such claims is not limited to Christianity. So we say that Jesus is the only God. And then we just have simple logic. It's not possible for all the world religions to be valid ways to God, so it is reasonable to say that Jesus is the way. Right? That is a reasonable statement. Charge number two. <clears throat> Jesus cannot be the only way because other religions would be false. No matter what belief system you adopt, you will be saying that your system is right and that the billions of people who don't accept it are wrong. If Islam is correct, then billions of non-Muslims are wrong. If Orthodox Judaism is correct, then billions of Gentiles are wrong. If it is correct to approve of multiple belief systems because they're all valid ways of achieving spiritual enlightenment, then billions of Christians, Jews, Muslims, and others who believe in exclusive religions are intolerant and therefore wrong. You can see how the logic breaks down here. Um, We can't just claim that Jesus can't be the only way just because it means somebody else is wrong. Charge number three. All that really matters is that people sincerely seek God. So sincerity is the root of everything. You may hear the people say that sincerity is the most important in religions, and uh, the rest is mere detail. It is all those very details that make the difference, however. If you were to examine a counterfeit $50 bill, it would look and feel very much like the same, the real thing. You may even need special training to spot the differences, but it's those small but very real differences that make one worth $50 and the other worth have no value at all. Furthermore, if sincerity were the test, virtually any delusion or sincere sincere mental persuasion would make a legitimate religion. Okay, And then charge number four. Uh, What about those who have 
never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You say that people have to respond to Jesus. If I don't know anything about him, how is that fair? And that's what this is at, the, at its heart. This is an objection, or, uh, or this objection is an offended sense of fairness. Um, and much of the time, the question is not even posed honestly. But if, and if that is true, then no answer will really ultimately satisfy. If the question is not being posed honestly, then you're not going to be able to answer the question. Uh, but if the question can be asked and answered from an honest, open-minded frame, uh, then these are the main points that we would need to work through. One, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We just spend a bunch of time talking about how that's true. Um, the Bible also teaches, number two, the Bible also teaches that everyone is condemned because of the sins that they themselves have committed and that God is just in writing condemning them. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Right? Uh, chart, uh, uh, I, point number three, the Bible teaches that God is not going to save everyone. God doesn't try to save, say, God's goal isn't necessarily save every single person. Um, <clears throat> Romans 9.27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. So God is never specifically intended to save everyone. Uh, and uh, point number four that we would want to go over with somebody like who's struggling with this is the Bible teaches that the way of salvation is open to all who will come based on the gospel. Right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Or Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So that's... That's number four. And then lastly, and we want to make sure that this uh, this one I think is seen because up until now we kind of have stark realities, right? God is not intending to save everyone. Only you know It's only through Christ. The Bible teaches that God is eager to find lost sinners and to save them, right? So God, God isn't up there in the heaven just sitting there waiting for everybody to realize that he's right, right? He's actually down here. He sent Jesus down into the world in order to be able to save lost sinners. You know, think, think of things like the, the parable of the lost sheep, leaving the 99 to go find the one that was lost because he cared so much about the one that was lost. Or you think about uh, Cornelius, who was, uh, in, who, whose journey to faith started through reading the Bible, through the, the Jewish scriptures at the time. He became a quote-unquote God-fearer. Then through a dream, God prompted him to find a Christian and... Um, and uh, uh, seek the truth of the gospel, and when the gospel was presented, his heart responded. So God is not up there impartially just waiting for people uh, to come. He is actively working to make sure that the gospel gets to those who need to hear it. Um, so by way of con- just by way of conclusion, one thing that should be clear to you from our presentation today is that there are many ways to try and describe who God is, who we are, and how is it that we are to obtain salvation. Um, and all of, these, all of these religions agree that we need salvation of some kind. You're either trying to escape or you're trying to be saved from sin. All of them agree that, agree that far. And there's many ways to describe that process. The truth that we learn from the Bible is that none of these ways actually lead to salvation. But the good news is that God has made a way through giving himself to satisfy his wrath against sinners through Jesus Christ. He gave himself in order to be able to accomplish that goal. And furthermore, we who have already received that grace have the incredible privilege of being God's means to save the world through the proclamation of the gospel. So if we are not out there telling people about the truths that we know from the scriptures, then 
uh, these people are indeed lost and without hope. And that is a wonderful privilege and something that is effectively true and, and gloriously evident even in this room as many people have been come to Christ after having been shared with with somebody else. So we have uh, one or two minutes for questions, thoughts uh, from you guys, anything that we can uh, talk about in our last couple of minutes. So, yeah. you, you, you know, I thought it was good overview of, you know, the world recognized religions. How does... Uh, atheism fit into this uh, because it is a worldwide belief system. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I actually, the main reason I didn't cover atheism is Brad covered it fairly well in session number two. So I just let it, let that stand as, a, as our discussion of atheism. But yes, you're right. Uh, so if you're curious about atheism, go back and listen to session two. Brad covers it in, in a fair amount of detail there as he's talking about the, the, the reality of God and our doctrine of God. But it's a, it's a good point. I think we need to learn how to, how to work, work in ter- the territory in terms of discussing and having discussion points with them. Yeah. Good. Other thoughts? Eric, just a thought. One thing that um, one time I was interacting with a non-Christian, and he asked me if it, if it troubled me that there were other religions that had so many pieces that were right that I would mm-hmm. actually agree with. Did that mm-hmm. trouble me? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I actually, upon reflection, I didn't know what to say then, but upon reflection, it doesn't trouble me at all. Yeah. Um, knowing that our God is true and that, that, our, that our God is the creator, of course there are going to be, um, uh, what would be the right word? Um, uh, I mean, I would say there's, there's, there are things that have not necessarily been forgotten across the world from that common origin. Yeah, truth is going to be is going to be marred, but it doesn't mean they're not going to have any piece of it. Right. So ours is the ultimate. Ours is the real. Theirs is yeah. the shadow. Theirs yes. are the hints. Theirs are the streams, but ours is the ocean. And it it, it just it like it was just a good thought for me to have. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, of course they get the idea of like the principle of sowing and reaping and yeah. and good works and things like that. Because we're all created in the image of God, so we understand right. these impulses. Right. But it doesn't mean it's right. Every culture in the world agrees that murder is wrong, yeah. with, with only very few exceptions. You know, be, you know. Yeah. Are there any uh, common monotheistic religions that predate Christianity? Uh, Judaism. Judaism. There, there's only three monotheistic religions out there. And, that's, and it is isn't an interesting. There's only three monotheistic religions out there, and they are all a family. They're not, they're not, they are all, they all trace back and explicitly acknowledge they trace back to the same God, or at least what they try to claim. Yeah. All right, well, we have to wrap it up there where we need to be done. Let me pray for us as we move into our service. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the fact that Jesus has come into this world so that we can see and know you and that we can know the God who has created this world and the, and the God who has sent himself into the world to uh, save lost sinners. That is a glorious truth and one that we need not be ashamed to proclaim to the world around us. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we are ashamed of that and the way that we shirk away from that because we're nervous. But, Lord, we just praise you for the fact that it is such a glorious truth. Give us boldness. Give us grace that we might proclaim the gospel to the entire world. And no matter what religion that person might come from. Thank you. We pray for your blessing on our service to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.